Welcome to Think With Me. I'm Dan Hope Anyalosa, one of the admins of the Christian Think Tank PH and the host of this show. Yes, the show that you're listening to right now. I invite you on this journey to think with me as we explore scripture, examine context, and engage scholarship on some of the toughest, most confusing, and often misunderstood passages in the Bible. On this episode, we will be talking about biblical interpretation and using the book of Romans as a case study. Let's dive in. Good evening, everyone. I am Dan Hopanyalosa. I'm one of the CTT admins, and with me tonight is Kyle Barrington. You know him probably. Um, he's the, not probably the weirdest guy, but hey, know, come on. one of the things that makes me, that, you know, that makes me love about this guy is his, his name in Bisaya, you know? For those in Mindanao, you can relate with this. <laughs> is it okay to say it, bro? I think, I think it is, it's right? okay. I think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I love his nickname, you know? Uh, Kalibanga. So you, for those, <laughs> for those, you know, people in the zone or you don't understand that word, search it now. Yeah, we apologize to the Tagalogs, <laughs> we, but you can look it up. Yeah. So, uh, as we have this uh, episode tonight, maybe some of you are asking where is Jihan or some of the CTT admins. Don't worry, you will surely see them in the next coming uh, episode of, the, of our podcast. And um, I would say for this specific uh, episode or say segment, I say segment because we have a specific name for this. Um, we will tell you in a minute, but for this specific se- segment, I will be your host. So, hmm, are you interested? What do you think is the name of this segment and why do we call it that way? So, what question. is the name? So, we call this uh, segment Think With Me. Hmm, another thinking session. <laughs> Yeah, because in the Christian think tank, you know, we believe that one of the things that we think about in our daily existence or maybe, you know, randomly, maybe while we are in, at work or just doing something or maybe while we're playing something, you know, for those the young guys, you know, random thoughts comes, comes into our mind and we think of scripture, passages or Bible narratives. And while we think about them, we reflect. And we try to, to, to look for things that we can you know, learn from that will stick in our hearts and minds. And then later on, it will be part of our lives. Like we practice it, you know? So, but in doing that, I know that for some of you, you think through some, you encounter some that are hard to understand. Yep. Maybe there are some that are, uh, you know, weird or sabihin but that's a Bible to. So, you know, if, uh, let me share with you this. This is weird because today I was just here at home and then just uh, randomly a guy stopped by in this, here in front of the house. He was looking for the business manager and then I talked to him and then he was bringing with him a lot of eggplants. He was a generous guy. He had this person, his full name, literally, I'm, I'm not lying to you. He just said his nickname, and, but I won't tell you because maybe it, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to be be identified <laughs> anyway he just want to give some to, to give for the school so uh when we were talking he asked me uh, are you married pastor and then i told him yes and then he asked me hmm does being married distract you from doing the ministry because the bible says when you follow jesus you leave your family and i said hmm so uh i think as he was thinking through that 
you know, passage from the Bible while we were talking. That was just random, you know, things happen. He was probably thinking, I'm not sure, so I was just saying, I was just saying, I was just assume he was thinking that that specific passage meant following Jesus would make you, para sa Tagalog pa, pabayaan mo yung family mo, you will leave your family. Mm. So I have to explain him to him that the passage does not, does not mean that way. See, see, this is very important. This is the purpose of this segment. Yes. We will be going through specific passages, narratives, and we will think through them in its context or in their context. You know, we talk about the background, time, place of the writing, probably study the culture. Language, big word language later on as we go through this segment. And this is critical because our understanding of the passages, you know, from the Bible uh, will lead or will help us, will direct us to the correct practice of it. So this uh, segment is for that purpose. And I hope that, you know, as you encounter CPT, see our podcast, you will listen, especially to, to the Christians and to those who are curious about the Bible, you know, for the unbelievers who will encounter this. This might help you, you know, be enlightened on what our passages, I mean, the Bible talks about. Because, you know, some people are actually atheists because they had a wrong understanding of the Bible. You know, sometimes because of the English translation, they take things literally and uh, so they have a hard time reconciling what it meant when it could have... It, its uh, meaning is actually different, so uh, they uh, they they reject it, you know. So I don't know. Maybe Kyle, I I forget something or I miss anything about the segment. You want to explain? No. no, I think that's good. I think what what we want to do, our I guess our initial goal here is to help people to see that there's a difference between what the passage says and what a passage means. And mm. one of the one of the problems that we encounter is and we'll take this maybe in the philippines context i would say 99 percent of interpretation of the bible in the philippines is happening from the english now that's even true if somebody's reading a a cebuano bible or a tagalog bible it's because that was usually translated from the english it wasn't translated from the original greek and the original hebrew and so what ends up happening is we read a, i don't know uh, give her, give any passage right like the one uh your friend who you met at the seminary today came in and quoted to you that may be what it says the question is what does it mean and this is an issue that we see uh from old through the new testament we read things in english we can quote what it says but we don't actually know what it means and we don't know how to arrive at that meaning so when we talk about this particular episode or this segment of Think With Me, our goal is to bring you along, to bring people along, to think with me, to think with Dunhope about what does the passage actually mean. We wanna we wanna explore scripture. We want to examine context. We want to engage right. scholarship. The idea here is to do these things in order to uncover the actual meaning, or at least a faithful meaning. Of the text of scripture why do we do that because if you don't know what a passage actually means you can't apply it accurately right mm. because you're applying a wrong interpretation so part mm. of this is also for how do we live a christian life 
how do we apply the Bible properly? And how do we get to a place where we know that we're applying it properly? Well, that starts with uh, coming to what we will call, and you'll hear this many times from us, a biblically faithful interpretation. That means we, we don't need 100% certainty. We don't require that. What we do need is to know that this is biblically faithful and we have good reason to think that. So, uh, that's a little bit of the background of this show idea, but maybe people also wonder, bro, and I'm sure they do, uh, what credibility do you guys have? And the reality is we don't have PhDs. Uh, not yet, at oh, least. Yeah. However, uh, Dunhope has a degree in theology and has gone through hermeneutics. I have gone through multiple levels of hermeneutics classes and what hermeneutics means in a literal form is the science of interpretation in in this context it's the science of interpreting the bible that's what hermeneutics is so while we don't have doctorates in this area we have read widely from it and we have gone through training on interpreting scripture so we we hope you'll join us in this journey as we read through scholarship and help you to engage with the scholarship that you'll join us in understanding some of the key pieces of biblical interpretation. So I, I, when I think about this, bro, Dunhope and I have gone through a lot over the years of trying to work through yeah. passages and uh, work through scripture that bothers us. And I think, bro, you would agree that mm -hmm. one of the key things that has helped to uh, both maintain your faith and share it with others is having a proper approach to biblical interpretation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, honestly, as a Christian, even as a pastor, when uh, we go through different seasons of life, and most of them are really hard, you know, some we call dark night of our souls, and it is very important to have the right understanding of the passage because that will be your foundation. Yeah, is you know there was even a joke like for example. Yeah, I don't know if you have heard this already, bro. You know, what if, you know, someone is struggling, he's so depressed, and then, you know, because there's been, there are people who practice, you know, just randomly opening the Bible for the Bible to minister into them. Yeah. <laughs> so what if that depressed person will open the Bible and, you know, find the scripture and, and do that on himself? <laughs> and if, you know, the guy, the person is not, equipped with the right you know skills or tools in understanding the passage then because it was in the bible then i will do it this is what it says so um that that, that uh, that's very important for me my passage has kept me in the faith i mean last friday we just had our our d group session like right the ctt admins because by the way guys we're not just we're not just Thinking people here, we yeah. talk about our lives, journey together, we rebuke each other hard, hard, hard. And I just told them, you know, we're going through, I'm going through something hard. And um, what's keeping me in the faith is classic, you know, yeah. truth from the Bible. And uh, yeah, that is, that's why it's very, very important. Yeah. So I think when, when you understand that, I know that joke, that joke is, you know, somebody is depressed, they're flipping through the Bible, they're looking for God's wisdom, they find uh, mm. Judas hung himself, and then they flip through some more, and it says, go and do likewise, right? This is, this is accurately relaying what the Bible says, but mm -hmm. 
but it is not accurately relaying what the Bible means. Now, of course, this is a, a joke, right? Uh, maybe yeah. someone has done that. But the reality is people do things equivalent to it all the time, right? They take a... And this is... There's a term for this in theological schools. It's called proof texting. You have an idea and you want to prove it. So you pull a text out in order to prove your idea, right? This mm. is the one of the major issues with... And I, you know, I apologize to our Filipino audience and even to you, Dunhope, to guys like Steph Curry, who puts on his shoe... In a basketball game, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength I need, right? But this, this passage is not about that at all. It's not about basketball. It's not even about doing things that you can't do. It's about a specific thing. And how do we know that specific thing? And I think this is now where I want to talk a little bit in this episode about biblical interpretation. Right? How do we get to okay, Steph Curry has Philippians four thirteen on his shoe. How do we get to the place where we know what that actually means? We know what it says. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But how do we get to the point where we understand what it means? So for a few minutes here, I wanna I wanna unfold a basic way to understand biblical interpretation. Uh done hope you know this. In scripture, there's not a context, right? There are many contexts. People often believe that there's a context you have to uncover, and once you've uncovered a context, you can come to a proper interpretation. And that context they usually start with is what we call a... Do you know it, Dunhope? What do we usually start with? A word study, right? If you want to know what it means, you just start with a word study. And once you know what the word means in its original language, now you have the meaning. But that's not how biblical interpretation works. Now, I know some of you are listening on audio, but if you could see me on video, think of an onion, right? Mm. Think of an onion. If you want to get to the core of the onion, you have to peel back the layers first, right? There's something under those layers and you want to get to it, but you have to peel back the layers before you can actually get to the core. And with scriptural interpretation and context, that's exactly the same. We could call the core of interpretation word studies, but the layers you have to go through before you can actually get to understanding what a word really means are multiple. And so let's think of the outside shell of an onion the top layer of an onion, the main, the first thing you want to get through in order to arrive at what a particular passage means. This would be called the historical context, okay? The historical context is, what's the historical and cultural setting? What's the situation of the passage and the people and the group that you're reading about? What are they going through? What was happening at the time? What's happening in the political empire? What would be going through the mind of the person who is writing this book inspired by the Holy Spirit? So the outer layer is called the historical context. When we peel that back, when we understand the situation, when we understand the history and the culture, we get to another context. And this is the second layer. The second layer would be called the ultimate context. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, how does this particular book how does this plug in 
to the whole purpose and meaning of the whole Bible. Okay? So the first layer is the historical context. The second layer is the ultimate context. How does this particular passage plug into the whole meaning of the whole Bible? How does this fit within the story of the Bible? How does this fit within the purpose of the whole Bible? Right? Because the Bible isn't a book. It's a library of books. So how does this one book of the library fit into the whole narrative? That's the second layer, the ultimate context. But then we uncover that, right? We peel that back and we realize we arrive at another layer, a third layer of context. And that layer is called the broad context. And by broad, that just means wider. So wider from what? The broad context is what is the context of the book or the letter that you're reading, right? Let's say you're reading a verse. Well, you need to know what is this verse packaged in? What's the context of the letter? Let's say if it's a letter. What's the context of the narrative? If it's a story, what's the context of the gospel? Uh, let's take the passage in Matthew to forsake your family. Well, what's going on in the whole book of Matthew? That is the broad context. That's the third layer. So now we already have three layers. First layer, you have to unfold first. Historical context. Second layer you have to unfold next is the ultimate context, right? The whole library of the Bible. What's it mean? The third layer you have to unfold is the broad context. What, what's going on in the book itself overall? But we peel that back and we're still not at the core. We arrive at what is called the fourth layer, the local context. This is, okay, what's the thought? What's the context? What's going on in the chapter, right? Say you're reading that single verse. What is the line of thinking in the chapter? Now, remember, chapters and verses were never there until fairly recently, okay? Chapters and verses were only put in the Bible so that we could reference it and cite it. They're not inspired by God. However, every writer, and Dunhope, you know this, you've written papers before, every writer has multiple trains of thought, right? So, you're going to write, you know, a couple pages, and then you shift your train of thought, right, to another... Uh, it's, it's related, but you're shifting it to another topic. If you want to understand what's going on, this fourth layer is the local context. And chapters are a, a good way to gauge it generally. They're not always perfect, but it's a good way to begin thinking about local context. What's the chapter about? What is the writer trying to communicate within this chapter? Now remember, we've already gone through other layers. So we already have historical context. We have ultimate context. We have broad context. We know what the book's about. Now we're in local context, right? We're narrowing it to the core. The local context is what is the chapter about? But then we get to the core. It is then that you get to the fifth layer, the word study. When you understand the history and culture, when you understand the nature of the broader context, when you understand... Bro, I think I cut out, but I can cut this out, don't worry. So I'll just, I'll just cut this in. So I'll go back to that because all my stuff just went off and then came back on. I don't know why. Yeah. Probably because of the storm. <laughs> Did I cut out at all for you or no? No, no. All right. I'll just, I'll cut this out and splice it in. So anyways, now, you know, we have these four layers, right? And we get to the core. The central layer of context that we're talking about here is the word study, right? So when we have the historical and cultural setting, when we have the context there, when we know what's going on at the time, when we know the ultimate context of how this you know, verse fits in with the book, which fits in with the whole Bible, when we have the book or the letters context, and when we have the chapters, chapters context, 
we now can understand what each word means within that particular verse or within that particular passage. So rather than start with this uh, word study and think we can come to the meaning, we've got to do a lot more work than that. We have to start with the history, get down to the ultimate story, then get to the broad story, the local story, and then we can get to word studies. And when we do this, when we uncover each layer of the onion, we will come to what we're going to keep calling a biblically faithful interpretation of Scripture. But it has to start with the historical context. Yeah, you know, while listening to you, I just remember one of the things that we discussed, you know, uh, in our GC with the guys and in our some of our sessions, the word giant as how it is, mm. you know, in the translation and what it means during their time. Mm-hmm. You know that this is just a spoiler. Don't worry, we will not talk about that. But this is just, that is just an we example. We won't talk about because... that today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be reserved for another time. But you see, that's just an example, you know? And right, bro, right. Just, to add, just to add on that, because while listening to you, um, I remember one of our, one of, my conversations also with my friends here who are also teaching in the seminary. Uh, we saw, I think, in the Philippines, the, I, I don't know if it was a launching of the Pinoy Version Bible. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it's, uh, it's actually good. I, I've used it in, when, I, uh, when I was pastoring a church and I was doing Sunday school. So my friend just asked, so because the word will be easily understood in our, in our language. Would we need to to even do word study or, or you know, yes, right. uh, you know, a Filipino will hear the word from his own language. Where do we draw the line here, you know, in terms of trying to study and know more about what the Bible really uh, says? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we have to realize that there's two things we have to realize. The first one is that whether we like it or not, every Bible translation is a bible interpretation okay Mm. everyone translating the bible is going to interpret what they're translating in some way and then write that so that's first but second is equally and maybe even more important we need to understand Mm. the intent behind a bible translation right so why Mm. is a particular bible translated in the way that it is is it to communicate uh i don't know an exact wording which is impossible, but they try to get there from the Hebrew or the Greek into English? Or is it, as we might call an easy reader, right? Is it so people Mm. can read it and be able to understand the words they're reading in their own language and in the way that they speak? When you use the the Pinoy version of the Bible, the goal was to make it easy to read, okay? That's the intent. Now, it's still true. Number one, still true. That translation is an interpretation. But they don't expect that to be the end of all people go to when they read the Bible, right? Pick up the Pinoy version, and now you know what the whole Bible means. <laughs> Nobody who translated it expects that that's what's going to happen. But what they want to do is get the Bible into more people's hands, so at the very least they will begin to read it, which will foster curiosity to dig deeper into what the Word says, and maybe even go to further study. But at minimum, the intent for certain translations like that is to get it to be read in a way people can understand in their own culture and context. But its intent is not to be a study Bible, right? They didn't make it for that purpose. Yes. So I think those two things are critical when you think about 
how far do we go? You know, how, how far can we push this thing? Well, there's intent. Yeah. And there's just recognizing the fact that every translation will be an interpretation. And so this isn't the end. Reading a, mm -hmm. in fact, I tell people, you know this, stop reading the Bible. <laughs> like, you can't just read the Bible. You need to study it. That's part of yes. what we're called to do is study it. Uh, one of the issues we find in, uh, you know, my field of study is Islam. One of the main issues of Islamic leaders with their people is that all of them can recite and read the Arabic Quran, and none of them know what it means, right? So there's no use to it because they don't even know what they're citing. They don't know what they're reading. They can pick up the words, put them in their brain, memorize them, and then share them, but they have no idea what it means. And if you don't know what it means, you can't apply it to your life. So I think it's yeah. still critical with a with an easy reader version that we we try to motivate people uh, to go deeper. But that's the process of disciple making, right? right? Disciple making is what helps people to go further and to go deeper and to grow closer to God through His Word. And that's supposed to be something that's a process. It won't be immediate. It's a process. And so disciple making is critical because we walk with people through that through that journey. Yes, you know just want to appreciate you know the people behind the pinay version bible because yeah. while i was passing at church i have a member who went out from prison and he can only understand the Tagalog. yeah know, a few english words so uh, i ended up uh, that bible was given to me but i have to give that to him you know and so now he's using that and he's i heard he's still serving in the church there back in zamboanga and it helps so i just want to appreciate people behind that and i actually have one here uh like in the house i bought it it's it's just 100 plus i'm going to give this to a friend you know uh, a partner in the school who is willing to study the word use this for him to learn more easily but just to use it as a ladder you know in yep. going more higher and higher or, or deeper and deeper into the word of god so hey but that's so a bro, good term bro it is a ladder right it, it, Yes, I think yes. we think of like a Bible translation. Uh, if you just hit that, you're that's it. You're done. That's the way you're supposed to stop. This no. This could be a ladder to the next steps, right? Easy yes. reader to maybe a study Bible to more uh, material on interpretation to a class. These yeah. are this is the process of disciple making. Nobody yes. enters the faith or begins to follow Jesus and has it all figured out. <laughs> Nobody. No. We gotta have a step by step process and people need to be faithful with that yes. as god gives them the ability to be faithful yes so yeah i think we have a very good intro so far so right now i just want to jump into some practice you know we'll be looking at specific book and you know bro just think with me and to those who are listening or watching us think with me you know there are the mo there are modern readers who say that the book of Romans is like a systematic theology book. Hmm. What do you think? That's uh, you're really trying to jump into the deep end here, huh? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let me let me preface this. Uh, mm -hmm. What we're going to do here is we're not using we're not going to go into the book of Romans. We're using the book of Romans mm -hmm. as a case study as a case study regarding uh, what we just talked about, the layers of interpretation before we can come to what the book actually means, what a passage actually means, what a verse actually means. So your question, 
there are preachers, pastors, who say mm -hmm. that uh, that the Book of Romans is the Bible's systematic theology. My thoughts right. about that are: this is a fundamental misunderstanding of the Book of Romans. Mm -hmm. It's a fundamental misunderstanding. Why? <laughs> they want to say why? Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. So the reason why this is a fundamental misunderstanding <clears throat> of the book of Romans is because when you listen to people who talk about this being a systematic theology, they seem to miss mm -hmm. a key factor in the intent behind the book being written. Okay. So there's a reason why Romans was written. There mm -hmm. are, alongside of this, there are plenty of systematic theological ideas from this era and Romans does not model them at all. Romans doesn't at all look like any of the systematic theologies of the era. However, Romans does look like something else. And the way we know what the book of Romans is actually about is by digging into the historical context, is by digging into what's going on in the culture at the time. And what's, I think, supremely ironic about this is we actually get the indicator from another book of the Bible. We get it from the book of Acts. Mm. So let me let me let me go into some detail here. Again, Romans is a case study. We're introducing mm. Romans as a case study of why proper biblical interpretation is essential to come to a faithful interpretation of scripture. Okay. Right. Let's look at the setting of Romans. Mm. We know that uh, we'll start with the historical background and we'll hop in. We know for sure. That around in between 33 and 40 AD, this is like Jesus dies and seven years later, that the church at Rome was planted by an unidentified Jewish person. We know this because the primary people sent out when Jesus died were Jewish. This could have been an apostle. This could have been a disciple of the apostles. Uh, we're, we're unsure. But every book you will read, every scholar you will turn to will say, there's a Jewish person unidentified that planted this church. Okay. 33 to 40 AD, in between there, somewhere, hard to identify, but we know it's during that time. Because of this, between 33 and 49 AD, since an unidentified Jewish person planted the church, the church at Rome looked Jewish, right? We have to understand that the followers of Jesus at this time did not think they had a new religion. They still considered themselves Jewish people who followed Jesus as their Messiah, okay? So they still did a lot of the Jewish tradition. They still looked like Jewish people. They were even, if you read uh, historians like Tacitus, and I'm going to quote a guy named Suetonius later, they mention that these people, it's not because they were Christians, it's because they followed a, a Messiah named Christ. They were still Jewish in the way that they looked culturally. So the church at Rome, between 33 to 49 AD, was almost certainly filled with Jewish tradition. It almost certainly mm. looked like a Jewish, uh, not a synagogue necessarily, but a Jewish group of people who followed Jesus, okay? But listen to where it's at. It's in Rome. Mm. Rome is not Jewish. Rome right. is not only Gentile, it's pagan. Mm. So mm. you have a Jewish church among, some estimates say, one million Romans who are pagan Gentiles, right? And then something happens. And we know mm. this because uh, I'm going to give you, 
if you could see the video, I'm going to count. We have at least probably 10 or a dozen sources who tell us what happens historically. In 49 AD, around that time, there's an emperor named Claudius, the emperor of Rome, and he expels, which means he throws out all of the Jews of Rome. All of them. Kicks them all out. Okay? We know this happens in two key places. We know this happens in Suetonius. You can read this in his book, The Lives of the Caesars. If you have the PDF, it's around page 391, who talks about this. But then in Acts 18, verse 2, it says it explicitly, that Claudius had exiled the Jews from Rome. So we have an emperor here who throws the Jews out from Rome. Now, why? This is an important historical piece of information. Because of what Suetonius says, the Jews in Rome were causing chaos because of a certain Christus. Now, we know that that's about Jesus. There's really no doubt about this, okay? So, now we have two pieces of historical information that are real interesting. Well, actually, we have three. Number one, Jewish people in Rome planted the church that was Jewish. Number two, the predominant people they're reaching and the predominant people in Rome are Gentile. Non-Jewish, not, they don't know anything about Jewish tradition. Number three, there was, because of this, a huge chaos in Rome, conflict, because Jews are following Christ, and they're in conflict with, apparently, the pagan Romans. Mm. Number four, Claudius throws them out because he's sick of having to deal with this chaos in his territory, okay? That's 49 AD. <clears throat> we see between 49 and 54 AD, historically, the church still existed. Now, think about this. It was planted by Jews. Jews are thrown out of Rome, but the church is still existing. So, who's leading the church? Gentiles. Mm. Gentiles. You have a Jewish planted church that looked Jewish that now has to be led by a group of people who don't know anything about Jewish tradition because they're not Jews. They're Gentiles. Right. They're the people the Jewish people reached, right? So, for about five to six years, from 49 to 54 AD, you've got Gentiles leading the church. Now, tell me, this is going to look much different than what it looked like before. But, you know, the Gentiles didn't know, are the, are, are the Jews ever going to come back? Like, we, we have no idea, are these people who led us ever going to come back? Because at that point, no Jews were allowed in Rome. But then you hit 54 AD, or 55, give or take. Claudius dies. When an emperor dies, his edicts are automatically lifted. Are automatically lifted. Claudius dies, and guess who returns to Rome? The Jews. The Jewish right. Christians. They come back to their church, and they enter their church, and they see, dear Lord, this doesn't look anything like what we planted. These are not the traditions we set in place. This is not what we came here to do. Between 54 to 57, the conflict between the Jewish and Gentile Christians, that is the Jews who were allowed back into Rome, and Gentile Christians, had increased to such a volatility that in 57 AD, Paul writes the book of Romans. Mm. Paul writes the book of Romans. Now, if you don't have all this history, and you just think about Paul writing this book, I could understand how you would see it as a systematic theology. But this mm. history tells us what the book of Romans is actually about. It's a pastoral letter to a group mm. of people 
who were warring against each other. This isn't the first time. They caused chaos in Rome also. But now they're in conflict over the way that the church is supposed to operate and the things people are supposed to do within the context of the church. There's no way to even know what any of the words mean or any of the theological terms Paul is using unless we know why he wrote it. Why did he say what he did? Why did he craft this particular sentence in this particular way? Because he's trying to write a pastoral letter to reconcile a group of people, to unify a church that is completely destroyed, completely fractured, and we see it again throughout history in this, these three years between, give or take, 54, 55, 56, 57. We see conflict in history in Rome between believers, between believers and pagans. So the historical, cultural setting, the details that we just shared, are what make up what Romans is actually written for. And it's written as a pastoral letter to reconcile the church at Rome, which had been fractured along what we could call denominational lines, uh, Jewish church, Gentile church. Because they could not reconcile the differences between the two, it's a young church, you know, God bless them, Paul had to write a letter to them to lay out the foundation for reconciliation. Mm. That's what like Romans that. is about. And actually, people like to think uh, there are certain climax points in a book, right? Any book mm. has sort of a, cl a climax. If you look at Romans, you can see a almost explicit point where the book climaxes. You can see where all of the beginning points to and where the end points back to. And that's Romans chapter 12. Romans mm. chapter 12 is the climax of the book of Romans. It's the place where Paul says, guys, listen, I'm going to get to the point now. We yeah. are one body with many parts, all of which have a different function, but play together in order to move Christ and his word throughout the world for the mission that we have. Mm. This is the climax of the book of Romans. We know that because we know why Paul wrote it. Knowing why Paul wrote it gives us an indicator of what he's trying to communicate. And he's trying to communicate, you're divided and you can't be. So you need to realize we're one body. Now, this isn't ironic. This isn't ironic. Because what's the next chapter after 12? Chapter 13. What yes. was the thing that caused the Jews to be thrown out of Rome? They stirred up chaos in the empire. Romans 13 is telling them, guys, don't do that again, or you're going to fracture your church again. <laughs> don't stir up chaos in the empire. You need to be able to serve the empire uh, insofar right. as you can morally, so that mm. the church doesn't fracture again. Remember, there's no chapters and verses. This was likely a letter written by Paul in one sitting, or written by maybe a scribe that he had. Mm. 12 and 13 are a train of thought. I mean, the whole book is a train of thought. But 12 is saying, you've got to be unified here. You've got to be one church. You have to be together as one, as one body. Mm. And you have to realize, remember what caused you to divide before? One of your group got thrown out. And because they got thrown out, you couldn't work together. Because it was a Gentile church now, and a Jewish church was outside of Rome. Mm. There's no irony here about why chapter 13 and 14 were written. It's it's pointing back to chapter 12, right? 
But if we take 13, chapter 13, and we isolate it, just for example, then we're going to come up with all kinds of conclusions about uh, we need to submit to ex-governor, ex-president, for any reason whatsoever. But that's not the purpose of why Paul wrote it. Paul wrote mm-hmm. it as an indicator relating to something that this church had already gone through, something very real to them, that caused them very real damage, and which caused the uh, pagans around them to not be able to see Christ as Christ wanted to be seen, right? Mm-hmm. So, when we take biblical interpretation and we peel back the layers of context, we can come to what a book's intent is. And when we know a book's intent, we can look at verses or long theological statements and say, okay, Paul said it in this way in Romans, but why did he say it in this way? Well, now we have the intent, because in this way, it would be understood to lead to a point of reconciliation between two theologically distinct groups, two traditionally distinct groups that should not be divided, right? Right. Now, let's go back to your original question. If Paul, and we know this, if Paul were writing a systematic theology, he may have used different words than he would have used in Romans for the exact same theological point. Why? Mm-hmm. Because the intent of the book. He's using the words he's using, he's using the language he's using, he's using the theology he's using in order to reconcile two groups of people who are causing great harm to non-Christian and to the Christians, right? Mm-hmm. So when we think of, okay, is it a systematic theology? That's going to color the way you interpret every piece of Romans. If we, reckon, if we realize that it's a pastoral letter, that's going to color the way that we interpret it. And it will cause variously different interpretations. And so laying the foundation, just that basic historical foundation for Romans, shows us what it's about shows us how to interpret it, shows us what certain passages mean and why Paul wrote them and why the heck is Romans in there about submit to the governors and submit to the ruler? Why would he just write that? It's not random. It's linked to real historical events. And it's linked to his intent to unify a church who had to go through it. Right. So, you know, if you read the book of Romans and, you know, you put it into its context, with S, <laughs> you will, you would appreciate Paul as a pastor, you know, as yeah. a leader to them, as a mentor. Because what he did is that in order to reconcile these two churches, let's say, you know, two churches, what he explained was the gospel. Yeah. The gospel, and as he explained the gospel, now they understood that now he's saying the gospel unites people. And the gospel is tried to live it out, it will win people. Yeah. So, you see, I, I, I just, because um, you know, if, if you will look at the book of Romans and you will see it as a theological book, you will just say, you are justified. But what are you justified for in the context of when, you know, Paul writing the, the, the book of Romans? So, uh, that is something that is uh, that we really need to take note. Now, as I'm thinking, following through your explanations, bro, I, 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 I'm thinking, yes, it is a pastoral letter, but it is a pastoral letter with Paul's explanation of the gospel. It has deep theological concepts, implications, and insights. Meaning, what I'm trying to say is, is it right? 
to say that although it is pastoral, a pastoral letter, letter but it is safe to say, yes, it has theological context. Yeah, I mean, any anything anyone writes about God is by definition theological. So, yes, the book of Romans has theological content. However, that theological content cannot just be pulled out of its intent and interpreted in any way possible. The words Paul chooses and the words Paul uses and the structure of Paul's sentences is specifically related to his intent to restore the church. It's a letter. We read it as like a novel, you know, that somebody wrote over six years. It's, it's not a novel. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a group of believers in order to address a pastoral concern. So, like I said earlier, Paul likely, I, I would say this isn't even likely, I'd say this is guaranteed, would completely mm. change the way he talks about these theological concepts if he were writing a systematic theology. We do this all the time. Dunhope, you went through college. I went through college. You're going through a master's degree. I'm not because I don't have time. But what you do mm-hmm. in college, depending on the class, is write different type of papers, right? Sometimes right. in my English classes, I had to write narratives. They had me write fiction. I had to write a theater play, which is literally written out, in my theater class. In my other classes, I had to write philosophical papers. These are entirely different ways of writing. In my theater paper, I'm not going to write... Uh, let's just take an example because this was my in one of my philosophy classes. I'm not going to write about Plato in the same way in my philosophy class that I'm going to write about Plato in my theater class. Mm. When Paul's writing a pastoral letter, he's writing in a different way with different language because he's addressing a different concern. So, we might take, you know, controversial theological ideas in Romans and think, see, Paul said it, therefore this theology is correct. But that misses Paul's intent for why he wrote uh, that particular passage in the way that he wrote it right we can't miss that because if we miss that then we're going to come to all kinds of conclusions that paul would disagree with if we brought it up to him he would say that's not my point i'm using the language i'm using to communicate to a specific group of people about a specific problem i'm not using it to communicate with the whole world about some systematic point of theology now don't hear me wrong it's applicable to the whole world because it's the word of god but it's applicable to the whole to the whole world in the intent that the Holy Spirit inspired the author to write it. It can't be in our intent because God did not inspire us to write it. It has to be in the intent of the author in the author's context because that was God's choice, not ours. So yes, there are there are deep theological insights, but we need to keep the deep theological insights within their context. Uh, and the yeah. context is the intent that the author, and in this case, Paul, wrote the book of Romans. So, whenever we take that theological insight, we have to make sure we put it in the intent. That way, we can mm. interpret it properly and come to a proper conclusion about these deep theological insights. Yeah, so, that has been a lot. And maybe for some, it would need, you know, to probably, I myself would, you know, review it and then, just consume it and then you know maybe you know um by the way guys yes we're discussing things here you know but if you have read or probably studied the book of romans and you have another perspective or you know have read other you know some people or some scholars said other another thing it's okay to disagree you know it's okay to disagree but 
at some point we hope that we can find you know we can find an a, a something that we can also agree on in terms of understanding for us to lead into just like what uh uh paul I, I, uh, explains you know our desires for the christians to 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 have in back in in rome and that is uh unity all right so thanks bro i yeah that's something that re we really need to remember because sometimes we you know it's very tempting to just pick passages from from the bible and then interpret it the way we want you know according to our intent at the specific time and our own purposes but we need to consider you know really what it means in its uh context where it came from and you know who and from uh from the writer himself or yeah so that's all for tonight um i hope that everyone enjoyed our session thank you so much bro for being with us um being with me thinking with me through this and i hope that uh for the next sessions we will also have some admins with uh to think with me and you know we have our plans of maybe inviting some people also to be with us so be excited guys to those who are listening with us tonight thank you so much for tuning in we hope to see you again we have another segment coming next sunday be excited uh i'm sure you will enjoy we won't uh, tell you what it is but it. we'll yes it's gonna be controversial as always because that's what we do <laughs> yes so again thank you maybe bro you have something to say yeah let me just close this out friend. let me let me close this out with just a quick reminder uh, about the thing a little summary and then why this matters mm -hmm. Uh, in the way that we live our Christian lives. So, one thing that we mentioned is that biblical interpretation can't start with the word study. And I know for many of us and many of you, especially if you've gone through seminary, um, your main go-to is to word study. Strong's Concordance. And yeah, it's easier, I agree. But I encourage you to peel back the layers before you go to your word study. To focus on the five layers of context. First, the historical context in the cultural setting, what's going on at the time. Second layer is the ultimate context of scripture. Where is scripture pointing? What's the thread? The third context is the broad context of whatever book it is you're reading, whatever letter it is you're reading, whatever gospel it is you're reading. The fourth layer is the local context. It's better to start with a chapter because chapters are a decent break. What's the chapter about? What's the train of thought that the author is on at that particular time? And then the final one, the fifth layer, is the word study. The word study can now be understood because you know, in this context, this word means this. The intent this word is, is trying to push towards is this. And we did this using a case study of the Book of Romans, right? The Book of Romans has often been described as the Bible's systematic theology, but it's not that. It's a pastoral letter. So the theological insights that are deep and complex within the book of Romans have to be kept within the intent of Paul to write a pastoral letter to reconcile uh, factions within the church, to reconcile groups of people who are following Jesus, but they're not following Jesus in this key area. Our content that we come to from Scripture and we come to the meaning of has to be kept within the intent of scripture and we used romans 
the book, and particularly Romans 12 to indicate this. And it's important for us to follow Jesus, that we are, we are seekers of the truth because he is the truth, and the truth belongs to God. And interpreting scripture as faithfully as possible, we don't need 100% certainty. We need a justified reason for the belief that we have that's true. To do this is to honor God, since God is the God of truth, is to glorify God, since God is truth, and is to worship God, because we worship in spirit and in truth. And we know that this is not an easy process. Interpretation of scripture is not an easy process. It's not supposed to be. A lot of work. It's a lot of work. We do believe, and we want to make this clear, in the perspicuity of scripture. And what that means is that everything you need to know to lead you to salvation, to lead us to salvation, can be interpreted just from reading scripture alone. But we don't stop at salvation. That's where we begin. <laughs> That's the starting point. And so everything moving forward from that is, as uh, scripture says, working out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's in reverence and reverence, <laughs> which takes a lot of work. So we encourage this and we, we encourage you to do it. Because this is the way to love God with all your mind. This is the way to learn to think well. And this is the way to learn what scripture means so that you can apply it properly and accurately and in a way that honors who God is and is faithful uh, to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. So we want to just leave, leave you with, uh, with that application point. Work hard at this. Yes, it's hard. Realize it's hard. But salvation is the beginning. It's not the end. And salvation is the beginning of trying to understand Scripture. So, as I'll say many times, I'm going to say it here, stop reading Scripture and start studying Scripture. Thank you, bro. Thank you, everyone. See you again next Sunday. Keep thinking. Yeah, keep thinking. We'll see you then.